0: Just a reminder that Stats and Stories is running its data visualization contest to celebrate its 300th episode. You can grab data about the show to analyze and submit your entry at statsandstories.net slash contest. Your entry has to be there by June 30th. So, often involved in raising the visibility of public health issues. Elton John is one obvious example for his work on HIV-AIDS. Rarely, though, are pop stars involved in gathering public health stats. Ugandan pop star Bebe Cool is the exception, and his work to combat tuberculosis is a focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, Emeritus Professor of Statistics at Miami University. We have two guests joining us today on the show. Our first is Sandra Alba, and the second is Amir Khan. Alba is an epidemiologist at KIT Royal Tropical Institute in Amsterdam. She trained as a medical statistician in the UK and soon after moved to Tanzania to complete a PhD on access to malaria treatment. For the past 15 years, she's applied statistical and epidemiological methods to evaluate public health programs in low and middle-income countries. Amara Khan is the technical officer at Stop TB Partnership, whose goal is to reach TB-affected people and communities wherever they are to Create innovative and new solutions for affected populations. The two recently authored an article for *Significance* about a TB program in Uganda that relies on Baby Cool to get the word out. Sandra and Americ, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm just sort of curious how did uh, how did a pop star get involved in gathering TB stats?
1: Good question. He actually um, it goes back to. His, his personal life, he lost a sister to TB. So this is something that he's been quite passionate about. And I think when he gained fame, he really wanted to use that fame to support the cause to help others who were in similar situations. So he attended actually um, a couple of our high level meetings. Um, we're actually, the Stop TB partnership is part of the UN. So he became a TB ambassador for us to spread the word and my organization, Stop TB Partnership, in addition to supporting these TB ambassadors and these TB champions, we also provide innovative funding for organizations to conduct projects that can find TB using either an innovative technology or an innovative approach. So his Organization Amber Hart applied for one of these, suggesting that they would use an innovative approach of using his music and his fame to spread the awareness about TB and hopefully find more people and treat them.
2: This is this is great. Uh, you know, I I, I want to thank you for introducing uh, us to, to Baby Cool. I, I ended up watching a, a video or two of it of uh, of his music videos as well as as a visit that he had to to some families who have been impacted by this and and kind of. You know, celebrating the connection that those families had and the support that they had for, for you know, one of, a member of their family that was was uh, you know trying to recover from TB. I think one thing that would be helpful, especially in a, in a program like this, is to take that step back and say, okay, let's you know talk about what is TB, you know, in, in sort of broad strokes, and. Is it, it, why is it such a broad, why is it such a serious concern that there would be a special program within the UN that's devoted to addressing it? So
1: TB is caused by a bacteria called Mycobacterium tuberculosis, and it's actually an ancient disease. It's been around since the time of the mummies, but it's actually still one of the world's leading killers by infectious disease. So until COVID hit, it was still the number one killer by infectious disease in the world. COVID surpassed it, but I think TB is now back... Unfortunately, to number one, it's not something we're proud of, but it is the case. So it is a huge public health concern around the world, particularly in lower income countries um, where there's other challenges that uh, make the population more susceptible to TB. And just, just to quickly add, it's, um, it's an airborne spread person to so, person. So that's why it makes it a, a big public health concern because it's a bit difficult to control.
2: Yeah, I, I know that within within the communities that I'm aware of in the in the U.S. with with TB, there's often this connection to congregate living or very very tight yep. living conditions, and there's it's it's a pretty serious challenge to treat this just because of the the regularity of of medication that's required. Yeah, you know, the last thing you want is something that's going to be resistant that that would exactly emerge, that would emerge from this. I you know when I looked at case fatality rates. That when you're talking about you know 14 percent, that was you know as part of the story that you were telling, that just was was sh- sh- shockingly high. I mean, for for me as I, I read this, you're you're looking at something that's that's relatively common. I mean, the incident rate yeah. is also quite high, but but then you know with that incidence rate of two per two per thousand roughly it seemed, then with this high fatality rate, it's it's clear. So so where where is a lot of the work for? you know the program that that you all are involved with where where's where is it around the world tell us about some of the the places that it's done and maybe some of the programs that you've been been involved with
1: um so for for us because we tend to see the, uh high rates in countries in asia in africa those are mostly where our programs will take place we've got some pockets in eastern europe that also have high rates of tb and a few in south america um yeah, I mean the the numbers are staggering, and 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 in a lot of the Western countries, people forget that TB still exists, but but in, in some of these other continents, it's quite quite staggering.
0: So, what kind of data was Baby Cool been helping you gather, and sort of what insights has it provided to TB in Uganda?
2: You're always about the data.
0: Uh, you know, it's, you it's know me. It's always the numbers. It's the data, it's the data. The it's the data it's and the analysis. Numbers.
2: That's the
3: right. always jumps. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I can say something uh, about, uh, about that. So actually, uh, TB Reach has quite a, um, a standardized, we say, monitoring and evaluation framework. So that's yeah, a bit of a technical term to say, standardized way of collecting all the data uh, that is then analyzed to uh, evaluate the, um, the performance of a, uh, of a project. And there's two types of data uh, that are uh, collected and reported on. and uh, Baby Cool, as project manager for this uh, project he had in, um, in Uganda, helped gather and manage uh, the, these two types of data. So one of them is what we call the, the process indicators. So it's really about data uh, regarding the project and how it's being um, implemented and uh, how many people uh, they manage to screen. For TB, that's a, that's the first thing to be done, and that can be done with questionnaires normally. So it's a, it's about us the coughing and the night sweats and things like this to try screen people who may be affected with TB. So that's like the first thing that we look at, and that he collected um, uh, in the different interventions that he implemented. So he had you know did different projects implemented where, but one of the things he did uh, in, in the beginning before COVID hit was to screen people for TB in his concerts. And so he would already, as a as an artist he performed uh, of course. Uh, Uh, music, live music and concerts. And so one of the uh, things that he did was to then have uh, trucks set up outside uh, his concerts um, uh, to screen people for TB and uh, refer them to public health facilities where necessary if they turned out to be, you know, positively screened. And then during the concert, he would raise awareness for this and, you know, say, you know, have you been coughing? Are you not feeling quite right? Well, out there, you know, go get uh, screened. So that's, uh, uh, unfortunately, he couldn't uh, continue doing um, this as much as he would have wanted to do because COVID hit and there were a lot of restrictions uh, all over the world, including in Uganda, where it was, um, the response was quite strict. But uh, as, uh, as, uh, yeah, this was really one of those innovative uh, approaches that, That that, that have so much potential, and um, so uh, yeah, back to the question about what type of data he would collect. Well, you know, he would collect the number screened uh, outside uh, in this uh, TB truck, and then the the whole what we call the whole TB cascade that then follows from that, Uh, and that um, would be data then collected in health facilities because, of course, this was all linked to the national TB control program. So then we he would know um, he would be able to then collect this whole cascade. Of how many were screened, how many were presumptive, so you know came out to be kind of positive positive from the screening, and then how many would then be tested um, uh, with a uh, you know the TB uh, as well as smear tests uh, usually that are done uh, and how many would be then laboratory confirmed, how many would have laboratory confirmed TB, how many would not be laboratory confirmed, but still with a very high suspicion of TB. So we call those like the all forms cases of TB. And then very importantly, how many would start treatment and how many would complete treatment, because ultimately that's what you want. You want all the people who are positive to then be on treatment, a very long treatment, at best six months. And then at worst, if, you're, if you have a, a drug-resistant uh, strain of TB, then it can be a nine-month treatment. So it's very long. And ensuring that continuity, ensuring completion, that is then a very difficult and challenging part. And so we need all the data to be able to uh, follow that up and then see, okay, was this a successful strategy, successful way to look out to uh, yeah, look for patients and then ensure that they get uh, the treatment that they need. So this is um, yeah, an important part of the data, or he facilitated the collection of.
2: Yeah. So you were describing kind of this one sort of stream being process indicators that were going through there. Um, were were you talking about? Was what's the second
3: part of that? The other stream of data then is the TB notifications data, and that's also a really important uh, source of data that all TB REACH grantees need to collect and report uh, to to us. Uh, that's really national official data. So it's the, the, the TB cases that have been, yeah, we say no, they're, they're notified because it's a notifiable disease. It's, you know, a public health concern. So it needs to be notified. And so these TB notifications at national level and then at subnational level, because of course, he implemented his activities in certain parts of the country. He was very strategic about that. He implemented his project where he knows that he has followers, where he knows that he is famous, which is, you know, smart, because that's then where people are likely to respond to his type of engagement that uh, he he uh, creates. And so he would uh, send us the TB notification data at national level, but also at subnational level in the areas where he knew that he had implemented his interventions. And the idea is that we would then follow these notifications over time and then see, okay, since, um, you know, since Baby Cool has uh, done his interventions, then we see really an increase in notifications. And in that case, that's a good thing. Actually, the, the fact that it would increase for TB is a good thing, because it means that he has found more cases of TB. It's a bit counterintuitive, because you, would ex- you, you, might want, you might think, oh, yeah, where TB has decreased, that's where he did a good job. But no, here, the thinking with TB is that there's a lot of people who are out there who are sick, but are not getting the treatment that they need. And therefore, they are a spreading. They're, uh, yeah, it's a contagious disease, of course. So they may be spreading TB. So here with TB reach, the idea always when evaluating projects is to try and assess whether a project was able to uh, lead to an increase in notifications, meaning that they were successful at finding cases. So yeah, we, we use these two sources of data. The process indicators is to really look at, have a deep dive at the actual project and what cases the actual project was able to find and to put on treatment, and then the other source of data is an external kind of, you know, validation data uh, from the National TB Control Program, so from the the health system, uh, to look at notifications and any potential impact that the project would have on notifications.
0: You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking with Sandra Alba and Amira Khan about combating TB. So TB you mentioned is sort of risen back to being the number one killer, and yet I I would argue probably in you know the United States a lot of people don't know that, and I wonder sort of what challenges you face in doing this work and combating TB, and what might be done to sort of m- m- raise its visibility I guess as this public health issue outside of the context you're working because I imagine like. It would be helpful if other people knew what was going on. This is this is truly the problem that it is.
1: Yeah, you know, we we try and advocate for more TB resources because that's really where where we're struggling. Is um, it it takes a lot to get a person to find a person and put them on treatment and to follow them. And many of these countries either that you know have high rates of TB either. Uh, lack access to the diagnostics, or even for the people who are most affected within those countries, they lack access to care. Like um, it's difficult to find a center that can diagnose them properly, uh, treat them properly. And so we really struggle with an appropriate amount of resources for TB. And then the other interesting thing with TB is if you look at COVID, it took one year to develop a vaccine and there was a big amount of push around the world to find treatments and vaccines and how to prevent it. TB, we have a vaccine that's over hundred years old that we're still using, and it's actually not even that effective of a vaccine. So we certainly need more and easier to use diagnostic tools as well as shorter treatment. As Sandra had mentioned, it can be six to nine months treatment. So that makes it challenging for people to complete their treatments. And then the other thing we face is stigma. So I think that's a huge barrier within countries. People uh, struggle with letting people know they have the disease. They don't, you know, they don't want people to know because it is uh, transmitted person to person through the air. So there's always this concern that someone might shun them from their community, from their workplace. Um, so there are lots of real challenges that we face with TB. And uh, again, it affects countries around the world that tend to be lower incomes. So. I think we struggle with uh, getting the resources and attention from the countries that may have more resources that they can contribute to.
2: You know, I, I, you sort of answered one of my questions before I, was gonna, before I asked it, which, and it was the sense of, you've, you've talked about kind of the success of some of the programs as an, up, an uptick of reporting. Sort of this increase, and then I was going to ask about kind of then. Well, what about prevention? And it sounds like that that one part of the prevention strategy, it is a an updated vaccine, perhaps, or more effective. You know, sort of investigation, research into to improvements in vaccine technology. I mean, clearly, COVID was that. You know, we had this as a a, a story on stats and stories a number of years ago. Was the number of days from when the the G, this was this disease was mapped to when a vaccine was available was was like. You know that equivalent of a moonshot. It was just an, yeah. a phenomenal progress on something very quickly, and it seems like this is an opportunity for something like this to occur again. I I really liked this. You know, when you talked about the stigma here, that seems like that's part of of one of the things that I could imagine some of your research efforts are trying to address. And you know, Bebe Cool, as as part of his concerts by doing that, was was kind of saying, hey, you know, this this uh, popular pop singer is celebra- You know, kind of say, look, this is something that's important. We need to, to get this out there. And and one of the, the you know, his, his YouTube videos is he's visiting there and saying, look, you're, no, you know, this is good that you're standing by your spouse who's who's TB, who, who has TB, you know, that your spouse is no longer contagious. There's been this course of treatment. I, it seems like you're, you have to, to both battle that stigma and with and battle the ignorance that's often associated with it. So, as part of the programs that you're looking at, you know how how do you kind of frame ways to to try to address these issues?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a big part of uh, combating TB, and um, we certainly Bebe Cool was doing it. I mean, that's part of his awareness campaign is to discuss TB openly, and that it is it can be a curable disease if you get on. The appropriate treatment. So, um, those are part of the messaging that uh, we encourage our grantees to use. But also at, at Stop TB Partnership, outside of this TB Reach initiative, we also have another group that works on community rights and gender, and they really focus on programming to to destigmatize TB within communities and to develop materials and trainings around that. So it is it is a big part of what we do overall at the partnership, but. Uh, clearly, there still needs to be a lot more work done, and uh, I think you know having people like Bebe Cool and other artists and other famous people talk openly about TB and their experiences um, can help.
0: Well, you know, we talked about sort of TB status um, as far as how deadly it is, but I wonder if there are other trends you see in the data about TB that you think we should be paying attention to, um, given sort of both of your work in, in this area.
3: Yeah, well, actually, we've been talking about COVID uh, for a while now in this conversation, and that's uh, certainly, uh, and then we've also been talking about, yeah, the data, we want to see increases in notifications, and that's a good thing. And then if you put these two things together, then the the third uh, thing that follows is uh, the impact of COVID actually on TB notifications. And this has been really uh, a big worry from the beginning, and something that also with TB Reach and with TB Reach monitoring and evaluation, which, um, of course, uh, I do was Um, always an important topic, because one of the first things uh, we saw happening when uh, COVID hit was a huge drop in notifications. And so that was a a big concern, uh, of course, because it means that probably a lot of people who need treatment are not getting the treatment and then you know reasons for that of course and then that you start then seeing the impact of lockdowns because what does it mean to have a lockdown you want to control one infectious uh, deadly uh, disease but this is coming at the cost of another of controlling another deadly infectious disease because people are not able to go and get uh, tested and get well it doesn't only apply to uh, to uh, tb of course it applies to all sorts of other diseases but we saw it very clearly with tb we saw suddenly this decrease in notifications and also so as we said, it's a it's a six month treatment uh, at best, nine months um, often, and then uh, yeah, these are all, people could not go to health facilities anymore. It could not be tested. Could not sometimes continue their treatment, and so there we really saw the catastrophic impact uh, of the pandemic, and there was a huge worry then also in terms of you know what is this going to mean for TB for TB um, uh, for the spread of TB, and then people started you know thinking of all sorts of things like yeah, so they're all staying at home because of the lockdown but that means they have higher chances of infecting each other maybe not of COVID but then of TB and you know then all sorts of yeah scenarios that are very then difficult to evaluate so it's like you know is the lockdown going to be good or bad in the end for TB uh, in terms of transmission but these are things that are very difficult to measure of course the transmission of these diseases but certainly what we saw was a huge uh, decrease uh, in TB notifications in the lockdown uh, months. And then in some countries, it led to that this was followed by a higher peak because there was a bit of a catch-up, which... You know um may may be good, but still there's some lost opportunities for timely treatment and therefore increased opportunities for transmission and then in other countries, we did not observe this you know catch up period, so there it was only a loss, so I think in terms of uh yeah trends the 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 one that's been very relevant in the past years was was this and also yeah very big concern
2: yeah i could I could well imagine that that uh you know, having this lockdown with with additional kind of close quarter living, that that one might expect a, a real uptick. And and given what you were describing as this being a num- sort of this number one cause of mortality, this killer that's a, that's present in life, that that I that this could translate into kind of part of that excess mortality that was described as part of COVID's impact. Is part of that this this uh, additional TB infection is that part of that story of, of any excess mortality that's been observed?
3: Well, I don't know if it's necessarily TB mortality, but it could be of other uh, other diseases, right? I mean, a limited access to care has been an issue in many settings with these COVID lockdowns, and it, I think so, some of the excess death that we see, you get maybe also indeed uh, due to you know uh, to that, but then of course it's difficult to, to, to quantify.
2: Yeah. yeah. So so what question is you know so what did you see as a result of Bebe Kool's work? What kind of what kind of tra- have you seen kind of this uptick in the reporting that you've described? I mean, as, as you kind of reflect back on kind of its its trajectory and its impact, what what kind of things have you observed?
3: And I think about Uganda, as far as the data until, you know, the time series that I have shows that indeed it was one of those countries where we saw uh, a huge dip in notifications in Q2 2020. So when the lockdown started and then. From the data that I have, it really stayed at a lower level than what, uh, you know, was uh, there before. So really, we really see this impact of COVID, especially in the big cities, which is also where he worked. Uh, in Kampala and so I don't know what happened afterwards because I only have uh, I think a year and a year and a half of data so I don't have the latest uh, you know what happened last year for example and if finally the trends went up again but yeah in terms of how we were uh, able to, this had a big impact on how we were able to to evaluate his project and um, yeah because he, he worked in yeah the against the backdrop of, you know, a huge decrease in notifications, which uh, uh, in a way negatively impacted at least, Stats-wise, uh, his project, but in in practice, in terms of what what he actually did and was able to do, and indeed his uh, his, his attitude and his uh, proactive attitude of finding other ways of doing things, um, that uh, we see in the, in the process indicator data, and uh, that uh, he was really uh, able to put a lot of to screen a lot of people and put a lot of people on treatment. Uh, nevertheless, with the, his approach,
1: you know what was interesting is um, unfortunately he couldn't. Um Implement the project as he originally intended because it was all about doing these concerts and getting people screened at these concerts using these mobile vans. Um, but unfortunately, Uganda had a, a very strict lockdown, so he did. But what was pretty impressive was he really he called called me as his technical officer, and he's like, "I need to figure out what to do because we can't do concerts anymore," and so. He did look at the data and he was like, I think I still want to find people and put them on treatment. And so where are they? Where are they coming right now? What's happening? So he changed his entire intervention um, to really look at case finding at the local health facilities when people come in. So doing some cough disc monitoring screening. And also he looked at um trying to find different people at these boda-boda uh, stations. But Sandra can probably describe that a bit more when she gets a chance. So, so it was interesting. He did end up using his data to change his uh, intervention so he could continue to find more people. But unfortunately, those concerts that Sandra and I really wanted to go attend had to stop because of the lockdowns.
2: Do you think he'll, he'll start it up again? With the, do you think he'll try to do this in, the, in future concerts as things lighten up some?
1: personally think he's still committed I mean this is something when we talk to him it sounds like it's you know obviously he's it's near and dear to his heart he uh I I will say what was really interesting working with him was I honestly didn't think he was going to be as interested in the data or in the day-to-day of the project I thought he was just lending his celebrity to us but no, he was on every phone call. <laughs> he was the one looking at the data. He was the one that called us and said, look, with COVID, I can't do concerts. I want to find more people and put them on treatment. I want to commit to what I had said I would do in a different way. So I was really impressed with that and that attitude. So I can only imagine that he's going to continue. I know he's still continuing to put out some messaging in Uganda, but um, but uh, hopefully he'll continue to work on a global level with that.
0: That's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Thank you both so much for being here today. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories, Apple Podcasts or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to Stories at miamioh.edu. Or check us out at statsandstories.net and be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.